0: We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 7 and read the first uh, 10 verses. I'm trying to remember what I was going to do. Uh, We're going to read the first 10 verses of Genesis chapter 7. And you'll remember from last time uh, we saw that God has finally lost his patience with uh, humanity, particularly because of their rebellion in uh, the rebellion of fallen angels and marrying uh, the daughters of men and and corrupting the line of of man. And therefore, God is choosing to white men and animals and everything from the face of the earth. And we talked a good bit about that last time. You know, the story of uh, Noah and the flood So I'm not going to rehash a lot of the facts about that, but rather I want to look at some very key things that God says about Noah in these 10 verses and consider what that means for us today. So we'll look at verses 1 through 10. I'll read that aloud as you follow along with me and then I'll pray and we'll uh, go through the text together. So let's read verses 1 through 10 of Genesis chapter 7 as we begin. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before uh, before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of heaven also, male and female, to keep, them, uh, keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth, for in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you are the righteous judge, knowing that what you say about us is true. Lord, we might try to define our own way. We might try to say who we really are and try to predict what our outcome in this life will be, but it is you who holds our lives in their in your hand It is you who says what is right and what is wrong. It is you who judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So, Father, we come to you today confessing first that we are sinners and that there is no way that we might stand before your presence as you judge the world. And yet, Lord, we come with confidence before you today, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of someone else, because of the righteousness of your very own son. So, Father, we come today asking that you would see us as you see Jesus. Lord, we rest in his goodness and in his work. And, Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers, that you would hear the words that we have praised to you. Lord, that they would be a sweet aroma in your nostrils, a sweet sound in your ear as we offer the sacrifices of praise. So, Lord, now as we come to this scripture, Lord, we know that your word is true. And we know that your word creates things. Your word defines what the reality of this world really is. So, Father, help us to understand it. Give us faith to receive it as you would have us to. Lord, may it change our hearts so that we would leave here not the same as we came. That we would leave here ready to serve you in our callings in this world. Father, bless us as we study. Lord, bless me that I might speak the words that you would have me to say that I would encourage and build up. Father, bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So if you were to do a man on the street interview and you were to go to uh, maybe not Pineapple, but go into Greenville or go into Camden and just pick random people along uh, walking along Main Street and you were to ask them, please define righteousness. Tell me what you think the righteous life is not what what you know from church or Sunday school but what you what you believe real righteousness is. What do you think the responses that you would get back would be? I've thought about that as I've studied this sermon for this sermon and uh, if the attitudes that are reflected in the media are any indication, I would say that pop culture in America would define righteousness to be... Now, keep in mind, this is not the church definition. This is what people really believe righteousness is in their heart of hearts. I think that pop culture in America would define uh, righteous, righteousness to be being true to oneself. Being true to who you really are. We Americans love to hear stories about a person who has bucked the system, who has gone their own way, blazed their own path. In fact, what's the song that Frank Sinatra saying? I did it my way, right? We, we love the idea of someone who did it their way. You can see this just in the quotes that we share with each other on social media. I see them all the time on Facebook. I found a couple of real gems that I thought I would share today. One is from actually from Buddha himself uh, not that he has social media cuz he's dead but the but but he uh, people quoted Buddha as saying no one saves us from no one saves us but ourselves no one can and no one may we ourselves must walk the path or better yet another one i don't know exactly who this one's from but it says do not believe the road signs There is no one way. If it's your truth, then it's the right way. There are many paths beyond the rules of limited thinking. Trust your instincts. Now, those might be extreme examples, but they are really what we think, what we believe about what is the right way, the true way to live life. We believe two things very strongly as Americans about what it means to be righteous. First, no one can stand in our place when it comes to righteousness. We believe that every life starts with a clean slate without any guilt, without any prior uh, guilt that we might have inherited. And ultimately, it is what that person does with that clean slate that makes them acceptable before God. Or not. And second, we believe that God will ultimately judge us as righteous because we were being true to our own way. If you were to do that same interview and ask a, a man on the street or a woman on the street, what do you believe righteousness is, and then to follow that up with, do you believe you're righteous, I guarantee you 100% of the people you interviewed, uh, assuming they're not good Bible-believing Christians, I should say, would say, no, uh, yes, I do believe I'm righteous. I believe I'm righteous because I'm being true to myself. I think that we, uh, this is probably why we find it so hard to accept the idea that people who don't trust in Jesus are going to hell. I think it might be why we have a hard time with the idea that there is only one way To heaven, We think that all of those honest, hardworking unbelievers are just being true to themselves. And then we think, how could God judge them with doing the best they could with what they had, with doing the best they could with the clean slate that they'd been given? The Bible talks a lot about people going their own way. It has a lot to say about this idea of finding your own path in the world. But the funny thing is, the Bible says something totally different about finding your own path than what our society says today. Here's some examples. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death. In Psalm 1, David says that the man who does not walk, In the way of the wicked is the man who is considered by God to be righteous. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul says that one of the clearest evidences that we were sinners before we came to Christ is that we walked after the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan himself. You see, in Scripture, there aren't many paths. In Scripture, There are two paths. And we've seen this develop as we've gone through the book of Genesis. Uh, The choice that Adam and Eve made was a choice of two paths. Would they walk after God? Would they find in God their knowledge and their wisdom for life? Or would they go their own way? Would they follow the way of Satan and seek knowledge and wisdom by his way? Cain stood before two paths. The path of faith and the path of self-righteousness. Lamech and Enoch are given as two contrasting examples of lives that are lived, walked after these two paths. Lamech would live the life by his own standards and blaze his own trail. And yet Enoch is given by Moses as the contrast to that. A man who is said to walk after God. Now, as we come to Genesis chapter seven, the time of God's long suffering over sinful man has passed and it's now time for judgment. And so in verse one, God commands Noah to take his family and the animals that he has sent Noah's way and to go into the ark that they've prepared And the reason that God gives for delivering Noah, even though he is going to judge the world, is that God has found Noah to be righteous in his generation. Now, to understand what righteousness is, according to Scripture, I want you to notice three things about righteousness that are revealed in this story. First, righteousness is something that God Himself defines. There are two important verbs used in Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 that I want you to notice. First, I want you to notice the verb said. God said to Noah. Now if you search this word said or, or this phrase God said and you think about where we've seen that verb come up in the past stories that we've read, think about God creating the earth. Right? How does God create the earth? Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 it says, And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Think about Genesis chapter 2. When he comes to the man and the woman as, after he's created Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God said and things were. You see, what we find in Scripture is that God defines what things should be. He speaks and things come to be. He, spe- he gives a command and things are, are so. When God speaks, He defines things. He defines the way things should be. Second, I want you to notice the verb have seen. Notice it says that God says that He has seen the righteousness of Noah. Now think again of how this verb is used in the stories that we've already read. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it says that God saw the light and He said it was good. He saw all these different things. He saw the land. He saw the water. He saw the fish. He saw the birds. He saw the, uh, uh, the animals. He saw man and woman. And he declared them to be good. So what we find, and then also in Genesis chapter 6, conversely it says that he saw the wickedness of man, that it was great on the earth. So what we find in this is that God sees and he judges. And when God judges, he judges rightly. It is God who defines the way things should be by his creation and by his purpose. And it is God who judges things rightly. And this is so important because it is not we who define what is right. We are not our own lawgivers. We don't define what is true for us, as the quote we read, or I read earlier said. Instead, it is God who defines what is right for us. And secondly, we are not our own judges. We do not get to, get to determine whether we uh, should be allowed into heaven or not. It is not we who determine what is right in our lives. It is God who determines those things. So that's one way we can understand what righteousness is from the story. The second way that we can understand, that we can see what righteousness is, is from the life of Noah himself. I want you to look back with me at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Just flip a page back to Genesis 6, verse 9, and notice what it says there. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We've seen that phrase before as we've looked at the story of Enoch. And this verse 9 tells us that the summation of Noah's life was that he was righteous. And why was he considered to be righteous? He was considered to be righteous because he walked with God. Further down in verse 22 of chapter 6, and we saw it at the end of of the passage that we read in chapter 7, it says that Noah did all that God commanded him to do in building the flood, uh, building the the ark. This idea is repeated multiple times throughout this story. So we see that righteousness is shown in the life of Noah because Noah walked after God. Now this is extremely important to understand because as Modern Christians, the way we often think of righteousness is only in terms of ethical obedience. We tend to think of righteousness as only not doing things, right? We think of it in terms of the Ten Commandments. And that is what one way of thinking of righteousness in the Old Testament. But what you also find in the Old Testament is another way of thinking of righteousness. Another way of righteousness altogether. In the Old Testament you find men who were counted to be righteousness not because they were ethically pure, but because they walked after God. Think of your heroes in the Old Testament. Whether it's Noah here, or Moses a little later, or David. All of those men were counted by God as righteous. But they did terrible things too. We're going to find in a few weeks that Noah though he is counted as righteous here he ethically fails in chapter 9. We're going to find later on that Moses or that Abraham though he's counted as righteous he ethically fails and you know how. We're going to find that Moses failed, that David failed, every man fails, but yet God counted them as righteous because They walked after God because they were faithful in following after God. So when we read the term righteous or blameless in the Old Testament, what we need to keep in mind is a distinction between the way of the Lord and the way of the serpent. Noah was not sinless, but he walked with God. So finally, the last way that we can understand what righteousness is, and this is so important to understand is we can see from the story of the flood that the perfect obedience of one man saves a select group of people and a remnant of creation from the judgment of God. Does Noah enter the ark himself? No, that wouldn't work very well, right? In in carrying on the creation of the world. No, he enters with his family. But yet, Moses, as he's writing this story, doesn't go through and delineate how all of the members of Noah's family are righteous. You notice that it only says that Noah is righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Rather, because of the righteousness of the head of the household, Noah, the others are able to enter because of his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, you cannot miss this concept. If you miss this concept, you will not understand how it is that Jesus could die for our sins. You see, there's a teaching in the Bible that is known as the federal headship. And throughout the Bible, we find that a multitude of examples of a group of people who are either saved or who are judged based on one person's Obedience or disobedience. So I want you to think about it. it was one, one particular one that we've already studied. Think about Adam. Adam sins. And who is receives that judgment as a result of his sins? Everybody. Who would ever come from Adam has received the judgment of Adam. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 that through Adam all die. You die because of Adam. Now you sin yourself, but the reason you die is because of Adam. And the reason you sin and you can't escape the, the temptations of this world is because ultimately of Adam's sin. Through one man, all of creation was judged. And yet on the flip side, Abraham, it says in chapter 12 of Genesis, believed God, trusted God, went to the land that God promised. And as a result of his faithfulness, every descendant of Abraham is blessed because of Abraham's faithfulness. You see it in Exodus chapter 32. God sees that the people of Israel have made a golden calf. And have already committed idolatry before they ever received the Ten Commandments. That say do not commit idolatry. And God says leave me alone that I might, my wrath might burn against these people. And Moses pleads with God. And he says don't judge these people. If for no other reason don't do it for my sake. And God says, I will not judge the people, not because of the people, but because of you. So there's this story that runs throughout Scripture that by one man's obedience, by one man's faithfulness, a group of people is blessed. (laughs) Oh, this is this is good news. It's good news for all of us because Adam's story, the curse of Adam, is not the end of our story. If all of the world can be plunged into death and sin by one man's disobedience, guess what? Take heart, because that same humanity can be rescued by one man's righteousness. And so, like Adam, like Noah, Jesus walked perfectly in the way of his Father. And he didn't just walk faithfully like Noah did, but he also was ethically pure. He also obeyed God in everything so that when he lived, as he lived, he gave back to God the obedience that we could not because of our position in Adam. And when he died... He offered himself in our place. And when he rose again, he secured our resurrection just as he secured his. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians five twenty one, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus has come as the better Noah, who has provided the way to be saved through the wrath of God. And he will not just save eight people, but a multitude from every tribe, every race, and every nation. And he will not just save a few animals of every breed, but he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth through his final coming. In the, and bring about the ages to come. Friend, you may be putting off the thought of judgment for another day, but you cannot stop it from coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 37 and 38, that it will be the same as it was in the days of Noah when the end comes. When the end comes, people will be married, they will be given in marriage. People will be eating and drinking. They will be going about their daily tasks. And then the end will come. Do not delay. Trust in Christ, who has provided the way through the judgment of God by His perfect life, death, and resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we are called to wait and to watch for that day. But we are also called to walk in the light of our Savior. Living righteously before God for we as believers means walking after Jesus Christ. Just as Noah walked with God, we now through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we walk with Jesus. And so John says in 1 John that if you are in the light, then you walk in the light. You no longer walk in darkness, but you walk in the light. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, that we walk with a, an expectant hope. We walk knowing that this is not all there is. That there will be a day when God will set all things right. When the day of judgment comes, may we be found faithfully walking after the Savior who has delivered us from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the great God who saves. You are the great God who provides deliverance. Lord, thank you that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we know that wrath is coming for those who have not repented and have not turned from their way and walked after God. So, Father... May we be found repentant. May we be found uh, righteous because we have trusted in you. Father, bless us as we go from this place. May we leave here uh, with a heart that is filled with your spirit, ready to walk after Jesus. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.